Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling of the Minneapolis Star Tribune here in Egan, Minnesota, where Justin Jefferson is and Daniil Hunter's not. Stefan Diggs isn't here either, I don't think. No, he's not. There's truth to all rumors. There's no rumor that Stefan Diggs is here, nor that he's going to be. Don't add us. Uh, but he is not here. He's not in Buffalo, apparently, either. So he's somewhere. He's somewhere. Not Egan. <laughs> he's somewhere. Justin Jefferson is back from Miami, uh, where he was training for at least part of this offseason and spending some of the Vikings' spring uh, workouts down there. Uh, but he's back without a contract, doing some running some routes, taking part of some full team drills. Um, we'll talk about his arrival, the state of negotiations with him and the Minnesota Vikings as he is eligible, obviously, for that contract extension for the first time this offseason. And that led to his absence uh, from the voluntary portion of the offseason program. And then we'll get to Daniil Hunter not being there, Dalvin Cook not being there because he was released last week, and where the team is headed as they embark uh, on four or five weeks off here before training camp. Um, ben, but let's start with Justin Jefferson showing up. Uh, was that an expected move from what you'd heard? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, they were sort of – I as of last week, I think it was still somewhat – up in the air and we heard Kevin O'Connell talk about you know wherever he is training and you know I hope to see him as soon as possible but yes my sense was early this week they were expecting he would be here I, I think they had heard from him to the effect that he was going to show up and that was you know I I, I think it didn't benefit him to hold out in the sense that he is now the leader of that room. He's the most accomplished receiver they have. There's no Adam Thielen here anymore. And he's the guy that sets the tone. So I, I think had he skipped, had he gotten fined, which he was going to be fined uh, if he was not here, I, I don't know that that would have been the best optics for him. As a guy that has been fairly uh, universally praised for how he handles things, it would have kind of been the first occasion to say, okay, uh, where is this going? So I think it was probably smart for him to show up. He and Kevin O'Connell, I know, have a, a strong relationship. I, I think that this set of negotiations has – it's maintained its strength for most of that, and I think it still continues to be that way. The negotiations are not close to the finish line, nor do I expect we've seen the last of – you know, what might be uh, some tense moments in those negotiations. But I think the relationship he has with Kevin O'Connell is um, still in, in good shape. And, and the fact that he's here, I, I think, is somewhat a reflection of that. And him showing up at this point means that we're not staring at a training camp holdout either, most likely. Yep, he said that today. Um, he, he'll be here. Oh, yeah. So. So I wasn't at the Jefferson thing. Yeah. What stood out from what he had to say? Yeah, I mean, he said <laughs> – he basically said, I will, I'm planning to report to training camp on time, so I don't think we're going to see that as an issue. And really, at this point, it doesn't make any sense to not report because the, the ability to rescind the fines is no longer there. I mean, you, you'll have players, I, I guess, if they're going to do anything, they'd hold in and kind of do the, well, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not really doing anything sort of thing. Um, but teams cannot basically kind of do a back room deal later on to say 
oh, you know, don't worry about the fines, even if you didn't show up. Once you get the contract done, they still have to have the fines. So I don't think it makes a ton of sense for players to do the traditional holdout anymore, even if you see certain agencies and, and his agency has, has used holdouts in the past. But in the new CBA, I just don't know that that makes a ton of sense. So it tactically probably makes sense for him to, to do what he did. And we'll see what that looks like if he's not signed to a new deal in training camp. But, um, yeah, I, I think the fact he'll be here is noteworthy, as is just kind of him saying, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be back here. I mean, he, he pinned his absence on, I've had a lot going on. I've had a lot of endorsements. I've had a lot of you know things to do. You know, we, you can – anybody who's listening to this – this is not our first go around with wide receiver negotiations. So that sounded a lot like Stefan Diggs' uh, adult problems uh, I had to do or something yes. like that. And then when pressed on, and he went, why he missed voluntary OTAs a while back, he went, uh, it was all house problems or something. Yes, like yes, that. yes. There were house problems. I forgot about that one. Uh, you know, they're truth to all rumors. Um, that's twice on this that we've gone to the Stefan Diggs, the famous I'm sick press conference, um, the Karen Smith moment. Um, yeah, he. I mean, I, I don't think anybody needs to be an expert in NFL subterfuge to know what that is. He he wasn't here because of the contract negotiations, and I, I don't think that was an accident. I, I don't think his agents minced words in terms of telling him what they think would be the best strategy, and really, it's like he had no workout bonus. He doesn't have anything compelling him to be here necessarily so if you feel like that's a good thing for leverage I get it um I don't think that teams always are thrilled when players do that but I I know he and Kevin O'Connell have been in touch enough that it's not like it's been radio silence for all of the offseason between him and the Vikings that's a good point he's not even risking the hundred thousand dollar workout bonus that's in every veteran's contract to make the optional part mandatory by hey if you want to earn this extra hundred grand just be here three days a week uh, essentially for a couple months and Jefferson on a rookie deal doesn't even have that so he's risking nothing by not being here rookie deals don't have that because rookies are incentivized younger players are incentivized to show up anyway to earn their roles and usually they are not bona fide world superstars like Justin yeah, Jefferson, yeah. Um, on, on a rookie deal. So that's going to change probably pretty soon. And when I say pretty soon, I mean maybe within the calendar year of Justin becoming the highest paid wide receiver in football um, <clears throat> sooner uh, at some point this season than later in terms of his career. But we know what that wide receiver room looks like without him. Uh, he doesn't need to send much of a message about that. Kevin O'Connell knows why. That's why they drafted Jordan Addison in the first round, but we didn't see him either because no. he wasn't participating due to an undisclosed injury that happened in rookie minicamp. So one of his first practices with the team, he goes down, and it appears to be a lower body injury because he was on a stationary bike during practice today watching it. You see K.J. Osborne talking to him uh, during practice, and K.J. was asked after practice what that was about. And he just said, I'm just trying to make sure he's taking mental reps, you know, is with it, obviously. And he says that he is, Jordan Addison is. Um, the good news out of this TCO tra uh, camp practice, mini camp practice today, is that Kevin O'Connell said Jordan Addison expected to be a full go by training camp. Um, that means they'll have Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, K.J. Osborne for the first time on the field together because those rookie minicamp practices are just the rookies. Yeah, and obviously track guy Jalen Naylor. <laughs> of course, we can't forget him. Potential, we cannot. 
starter. It, you know, Kevin O'Connell didn't call him a day one starter. He no. just called Jordan Addison a day Track one starter. <laughs> um, Justin Jefferson. Track guy. Was he really? Was Justin? Was. Uh, I should know. Actually, yep. I think I knew that. I 200, knew. 400, uh, right. and triple jump, I believe. Secret to his success. Yeah, I think so. I don't <laughs> think there's any doubt about it. Uh, other than that, it was a lot of Jalen Rager, uh, Jalen Naylor, Brandon Powell at the wide receiver spot. Uh, I wouldn't be too shocked if at some point they bring in just another veteran to see uh, if, if they can fill out that depth chart a little more smoothly. But um, beyond that, now that they've got Justin back, he says he'll be there at training camp. Uh, the questions turn to Daniil Hunter and that defensive line. Because right now it's been DJ Wanham in that number one spot uh, opposite Marcus Davenport. Um, that has been their pass rush. And I don't think either of those guys have really played more than 500 snaps. Well, excuse me, Matt, Davenport peaked at like 590 yeah. snaps with the Saints. I'm over here doing like the Michael Scott yeah. nervous face <laughs> dot gif. Um, so Daniil Hunter, Ben, he obviously did not show up to mandatory minicamp as was in the Star Tribune this morning. And where is it going to go from here? Because this is three straight years now of this. And really, it's four years after Daniil, I believe, first or five. When did he first sign that deal? 28. I believe it was that that uh, land rush of contracts in 2018 when they were trying to get everybody signed. Remember, it was like yeah. Griffin, Xavier Rhodes, Linval Joseph. Stefan Diggs. Diggs. Yeah. Hunter. And Eric Kendricks, they needed to sign like all of those guys, and then it was Anthony Barr was going to be the the odd man out because they signed Cousins, and then they wait until Anthony Barr gets a verbal deal with the Jets, and then sign him for probably more money later, which we were told was all part of the plan. So there you go. Um, yeah, it was uh, Hunter was I believe spring of 2018 that he did that deal, um, and uh, actually, might, well, Diggs might have been first. Because I, they basically got the same deal. It was almost identical in terms of the five years, I think, $72 million. And Daniil's deal um, was just below Everson Griffin's. Yes. Like by $100,000 yep. in terms yep. of average per year. And that that was not by accident with the no. for, former regime and with Everson and Daniil. And Daniil was a good teammate. He was a good soldier by doing that, by accepting that deal, because it was not a smart deal. It if was you not. you just look at it objectively. No, it was from, not. From a guy who was ascending, um, who had already had a great year in 2017 and was going to continue to ascend um, and did, that deal pigeonholed him for five years into very below market rate cash that he has been fighting now for three straight years, well, essentially. And all of this context is important, I think. It's, it's good that you bring it up because... I do think this has shaped this round of negotiations. I mean, and Kevin O'Connell alluded to it a little bit today. He said, you know, whatever relationships existed before this year, and he said, however positive they may be, but you can kind of read between the lines there. I mean, they were negative a little bit. We can we can fill in some things between the lines there. He was not happy with the contract fairly quickly after he signed it. Now, obviously, you don't have to put pen to paper. You don't have to negotiate the deal that your representatives negotiated. I mean, that ultimately it takes two people to make that deal. But he wasn't happy with it. Back in 2020, he hurts his neck, tweaked his neck, as Mike Zimmer famously put it. I believe it was the day that they traded Yannick Ngakwe. They were like 1-5 and five at the bye. They traded Ngakwe away because it just wasn't a good fit. I think the same day, Hunter turns up in New York to get, 
I don't remember if it was a second opinion or just decided to have surgery at that. I think it was having surgery that week or maybe even that same day. Yeah, it was a late surgery. And yeah. then it comes yeah. out, coincidentally, I'm sure, that he's not happy with his contract, that he wants to be paid like uh, it was Nick like, Bosa. It was like uh, highest paid defender yeah. money. So which would have been Nick Bosa, I think, at the time, or you know, puts you right in that, probably before Aaron Donald got paid, it puts you right in that $27, $28 million a year range, which was a huge raise. Or would have been a huge race. The problem, of course, has been he hasn't had the leverage to do it because he had signed the deal, he'd just gotten hurt, and then comes back the next year, plays six games, tears his pack. So you haven't exactly been able to put up a ton of performances to show that you're worth that. And the first time he held out of voluntary activities was right after that 2020 yes, season. Yes, it was. Yep, and that was the first time they reworked the deal to, I think, put the $18 million roster bonus in there, which was sort of a trigger to get everybody back to the table the following year. So then they decide to pick up the bonus and then they restructure it so that it basically becomes a signing bonus for cap purposes. But none of these renegotiations have led to new money. Basically what they they did, I think, in the first round of it was they moved some money up because that was right before minicamp. They that took mid June. They took all of 2023's salary and yep. moved it up into a bonus that he ended up getting paid last year. Right. That was right. 18, and I think there was a little bit of money from 2022 moved up into 2021 that yes. got him back on the field in 2021. Yep. Now, I mean, who would, how would any of us have known what the inflation rates have been at the time? So maybe secretly a great strategy. I mean, you know, the the accounting axiom is cash now is better than cash later because it spends better when inflation, there's that when you have it and when inflation doesn't go up. But uh, I don't think that was what he was after necessarily. So they haven't really given him what he was looking for in any of these negotiations. And I think even though it's a new regime, there's, I think, still probably, I'm sure there's still feelings of this has been the same team. I think there were, I mean, we've reported it. When he had the surgery, I don't think Mike Zimmer was terribly happy about it. Zimmer I, what I was told at the time, and I've, I've written this, was like the one person that didn't call him after the surgery. And that's probably Zimmer just saying, well, I don't call you when you're healthy, and you know, why would I need to do it now? And that might have been part of it. But Yeah, Andre Patterson that played in all those things. was the point person, yes. basically. Yes, the, the, had to be the, the emissary in a lot of ways. So, again, how much of that is he saying, hey, these are different people? Is he compartmentalizing that? How much of it is still, this is the same employer I've had since day one, and I signed this contract, and nobody's made it right, even though I've put up numbers, and he has, and I think in some ways he hasn't, because ten and a half sacks last year is a nice year, but when Zedaria Smith is getting a lot of the double teams, I think the Vikings have felt like, okay, uh, let's see you go take advantage of those things and and put up really, really big numbers if you're getting one-on-one matchups, so there's a lot here. Um, I think there's a lot of history to it. I wonder in the end if it'll just be one of those where they say, hey, you know, it, a fresh start is best for everybody. That leads to a lot of questions about what the pass rush looks like. I thought, but what, we'll did, see. what did you think, though, about what Kevin O'Connell said? I thought it was interesting that he mentioned, you know, he's asked directly by, about um, is one of the solutions, because the, the pet phrase for Quasi is generally solutions oriented. So Kevin echoed that, uh, O'Connell, and then was asked about was one of the solutions to Neil staying here. And yeah. he, he said, well, I'd like to think so. He, yes. He seemed to try to project optimism about uh, repairing this yeah. situation. Yeah, I don't think they've closed that door. And really, it's like you don't have a pass rush 
or at least a lot of proven pass rushers without him. Now, the question is, what's the number? I mean, if if they say, yeah, we'll do a deal, and he says, great, um, let's start with the Bosa contract and go from there, I, I just don't know that I see that happening. So it's going to probably depend on – I mean, it's very, very easy to say I'd like to think that's an option and kind of talk in theory about how that happens, but it doesn't really get done until you decide on numbers to these things. I mean, everybody's got a price point. And so, yeah, sure, we'd love to do that. I mean, it, you know, I, I would love to um, – you know, buy a nicer house for $150,000. It's not going to happen. So um, there's a lot of those things that I think are not really terribly substantive until you figure out what the dollar figure is that are attached to those statements. To keep using, yeah, Quasi's pet phrase, theoretically it could happen. Yep, in it, theory. It could happen. Um, I, I just think the Vikings have all the leverage, as is the case with all of these situations, yeah. right? And Teams usually do. But they don't want to operate in bad faith and just say, well, you're set to do $5.5 million this year, come get it, and this is all you're going to get. It makes a ton of sense in the world that they've attempted to do some kind of one-year fix-it deal like they did in 2021, but there's no more money to move up. Yeah. It has to be new money. Yes, it does. And so they've already got void years. You can't redo that to just make them a free agent next year and get the comp pick. So the incentive for the Vikings to do it and let them walk is just to make them happy to get them to show up. Yeah. It, you can in terms give of the like one a year signing fix. bonus, I suppose, and shove that into the void years. It wouldn't do a ton to the cap, but... Again, that's not a long-term more, fix. It's just more dead money. Right. Yeah. It's just more like, hey, show up, have a good year, and then we'll talk about it. I mean, you could do that, but they, that's happened before. They're already there, yeah. Yeah. We've we've done the, hey, show up, prove yourself, and then we'll talk about it again. And, and I, you know, rightly or wrongly, I, I think there's you – you can look at that from a logical perspective and say, okay, I that's a defensible position. I can also see where from an emotional perspective or just a – We've been down this road, kind of thing. You could be like, I, you know, I'm tired of hearing that. Let's let's put up or shut up here. That's the interesting. Shoot part. me or salute me, as Benny Sapp once said. <laughs> That's the interesting part. Is <clears throat> Danielle doesn't much talk to anybody, and it'd be interesting to get his legitimate thoughts, like candid thoughts on, yeah, is is can this be fixed just to show up for a year and then leave? Or is this so irreparable in his mind that he's like, I just get me out of here. Like, yeah. you know, for him not to show up to mandatory minicamp, this is an un-Daniel Hunter-like move. Yeah. He, he's always been described by coaches on the current staff and the former staff as a good soldier who typically shows up and just does what is asked of him. And yep. he also, when he does talk, prides himself on that. Last year, whenever he was asked about, like behind the scenes, people close to him knew he did not like what he was being asked to do. Yeah. But publicly, he would always just say, I'm doing what I'm being asked to do. And when he held out uh, voluntary stuff in 2021, refresh my memory. Did that new did that new deal? Did the solution to that year in terms of the new contract come before minicamp? It was like a day before it. Yes. So he never I mean, even had to try to skip it. Right. They had a it new was deal. Like okay. on the eve of okay. minicamp. So maybe yeah. he would have held out then, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, but this is something that it is a, a pretty aggressive step from a guy that has generally kept his grumblings below mm -hmm. the surface yep. for the yep. most part. Yep, and I, I think it's important to remember in, in all of these things when you see players taking a certain tack on these things, it's not always the player saying, well, fine, I'm going to go do this. There's a lot of times where 
It's, hey, we've done this with this player before, and it resulted in this contract. Just trust the strategy. Trust what we're telling you to do. It'll all work out in the end. I mean, there is, especially when it comes to contract negotiations, I mean, agents have jobs for a reason, but a lot of these things that players end up doing are being driven or at least strategized by agents to say, hey, um, this may help put the pressure on the team to get you what you want. I've also heard like in 2020, he was being advised not just by agents, but family members. Yeah. That gets yep. a little muddy too when you got it a does. family member who's, uh, uh, what is it? Juris, what's the J- JD? Juris the doctor. Thank you. That, yeah, that, that, that went to law school. It becomes a little sketchy sometimes when you get that involved and you get guys who, or women who aren't part of the sports world who come in with an idea of what your family member's worth. And that can skew perspective as well. I don't know where Daniil's at three years later off of that side of things, but if he's still being uh, instructed by family members as much as an agent. But, yeah, it was multiple people advising him then. And to your point about now, maybe it is uh, an agent play of, hey, this is just the best thing for you. And he's now part of Clutch Sports Group, which his agency got bought out or joined as part of. So he's got the LeBron, Mav Carter side of things that he's working with. so it's interesting. It's very interesting of where th- that situation's at. And I talked to DJ Wanham after practice today. That is the starter right now right. Um, instead of Daniil Hunter. And DJ talked about being very comfortable in this system and all that, but we won't see it or any kind of leap from him until certainly they put the pads on and they go to work in training camp. Will Daniil Hunter be there? <laughs> that, that'll be a massive question mark. Yes, um, I, I think right there's now. a lot to determine in the next month and a half a lot to potentially interrupt our glorious time off the only time the nfl really goes quiet yeah if they end up trading him if they do um it'll be interesting to see what what they end up doing because what's the market well i mean yeah it on one hand he's still only 28 I mean, he's been one of these guys that he's a late October birthday, so he's always one of these guys you're, you're sitting there saying, this guy's still only this old? I mean, he this is year nine for him, and he's still only 28 years old? I mean, he'll be 29 in October. Yeah, I think 15, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those guys you sit there and say, man, this, this dude, for as long as he's been around, he's still not that old. And he's an awfully dynamic pass rusher when he's healthy. I wonder if there would be a team, especially that maybe runs a 4-3, that would say uh, we want to bring you in and kind of make you the type of player that you used to be and kind of play the same role that you had in the past and maybe you put up those kinds of numbers. Well, Andrew Barry, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa's mentor, chose Zadarius Smith over Zadiel Hunter. Yes, Daniel Hunter-wise. I made them one person, Zadiel Hunter. Um, he chose Zadarius Smith. Zadiel he made. No, sorry. Because Kevin Stefanski would certainly sorry about that. know Daniel. I believe Jim Schwartz in Cleveland is running a 4-3 now. Yep. Um, would have been a decent fit, but they went with the other Viking teammate. Uh, and I don't. And now with um, who's the guy? Miles Garrett. Now with yep. Miles Garrett, Zadarius, that's not a fit. Um yeah, the New York just, Giants only have three point eight million dollars of cap space. In case you're curious, yeah, with Andre Andre there, yeah, that would make a lot of sense if they could somehow swing it. But it's yeah, you can't always add everybody you want. Everybody wants to put like DeAndre Hopkins in Buffalo until they realize they got five million dollars. But now maybe they'll cut 
Stefan Diggs or <laughs> trade him. Uh, anyway, um, all right. Well, let's move on and talk about the Dalvin Cook move. Uh, the Vikings eventually, finally released Dalvin Cook after the long anticipated um, move came to a head. Three days beforehand, I was asking on this very podcast, where's the line? Apparently, it was that Friday yeah. of when the line is going to be before we want your money and we're going to cut you in lieu of trading you. Um, it is interesting to see, too, the reports that you know would come from people who know what Dalvin is asking for, maybe an agent, uh, that Dalvin wants still a lot of money, that he wants uh, 10 plus million dollars apparently still. You think those are coming from agents? I think it might be. <laughs> Maybe um, that he still wants a lot of money and y- you're going to be in for a rude awakening. I feel like um, when we keep mentioning some of the veteran running backs that are out there, the guys who are getting cut, Aaron Jones agreed to a pay cut this yeah. off season. Um, and it's June and it's June. And what, yeah, the clock is ticking. Yeah. Essentially you're waiting then for an injury. You're waiting for Saquon Barkley to up and retire and not sign his franchise tender. I don't know. Uh, that one's even more perplexing than Daniil because it's a 28-year-old running back, four straight 1,000-yard seasons. Um, All of the things that we would say about why Daniil has a mark in terms of age and what's left on the, the tires, not that Dalvin is done, but at that position, both positional value and the curve in terms of age, it is the opposite. Do you find it interesting, and yeah, you're totally right, do you find it interesting that teams like the Broncos, local report came out of there that Broncos aren't interested yet in Dalvin Cook. Miami report came out that, eh, maybe not right now, we're not interested. Yeah. It's like teams are actively trying to depress his market. Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of, wow, we're just going to you know hold our cards here, and maybe the Cowboys, I guess, would be the other one that – you, but, yeah, they have Tony Pollard, too. It's and they like, could just get Zeke back for half yeah, of what they were going to yeah, pay him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's going to work out quite in the way that he would probably hope. And the, the the thing that makes you scratch your head there a little bit, too, is the I think the waiting around on his side of things where it's like, okay, why would you, why would you not – force your way out when free agency is starting i mean why are you waiting until teams say no you know we've been through free agency we've been through the draft we've had a chance to see all of our rookies in otas we've kind of maybe put our money into other things in some cases i mean you have teams that get cap space back after june 1st so there's that but it's a little bit of an odd play if you are, in fact, looking for a big deal to wait until a lot of the dance cards are full to say, you know, let's get out of the market then. I mean, and some of it is the Vikings, but you can you could force things and try to say, hey, um, if you're not going to pay him, just try to cut him. Counterpoint, could you? Zadarius tried to. He tweeted goodbye. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but he the did. Vikings still said no. You're right. You're right. They did. Um, so it seems like Quasi and the Vikings are more willing to kind of go through it. I'm not saying this is the case with yeah. Cook. Cook might have been sending them mixed messages or whatever it may be. But it's interesting that this organization seems more willing to not lean into the uncomfortable stuff and deal with it, but at least drag some stuff out for whatever uh, what the, whatever levers they can get. Winning in the margins, as they yep. talk about, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, sure, it's just two late-round pick swaps for Zedarius, but you know what? It's better than nothing, essentially. Yes. Yep. Um, that is the kind of stuff that they seem with Cook that they were also open to, like, okay, you know what? Fine. 
you know, we're going to keep this guy, but we're also going to try to then get something. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think they felt like there's still a, a usefulness for you to be here. And, you know, I suppose from their perspective, it's like, well, we might as well wait because the longer we wait, the less his market looks interesting and the more he may be willing to say, you know what? Yeah, I'll take that pay cut and come back here. And then you have him in a different role. You still have the game-breaking ability that you want and you still have Alexander Madison who you seem to think is going to be a bigger and they're certainly planning for him to be a bigger part of the offense so yeah I, I think that all plays into their strategy I just I wonder if he would look back on it if his camp would look back on it and say um, and we'll see maybe he'll get the deal he wants yeah. and maybe it'll all work out and it's probably maybe a better thing to look back on once it's done because we don't have the final piece of this yet but yeah it, it's been interesting i'll just say that but people don't hand out 10 million for a running back in june they do not they, they don't um you trade for christian mccaffrey you know mid-season when you're making a push but you don't yeah you don't i would be shocked if he gets anywhere near what he's looking for but it was an interesting and honestly it's in the grand scheme of all these running backs getting shafted you know <laughs> like they're getting the short end of the stick uh and guys more so than him dalvin is fortunate that he was in the kind of last wave of big veteran um extensions it was that that 2017 draft class that everybody paid yeah um camara right camara joe mixon Aaron jones, jones cook um, McCaffrey got paid his $12 million deal shortly after. I know he was an earlier. I think he was 16, but had a fifth-year option. Yeah. And a he, first round pick. he got paid big by the Panthers around that time. Yep. Um, so Dallas was fortunate because right now the guys who are next, the guys who are supposed to be stepping on top of each other to keep building their markets are just getting completely suppressed in yep. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. Who was the other running back? Uh, Tony Pollard got yep. tagged this yep. offseason. Um, and Cook is now feeling that brunt, but he's doing it as a 28-year-old man who's pocketed tens of millions of dollars, which is very fortunate for him at that position because the NFL is now turning around and saying, hey, we're not running the ball as much. We These guys are getting hurt more often. Teams are winning with committees. Um, Todd Gurley ain't it, essentially. Yeah. Like They yeah. learn from that. Um, so anyway, long story short, Cook was fortunate in a way, but he's also now getting caught at a time where teams just are not putting the money out there. Yeah, and that contract, I think, eventually became something where the Vikings just said, you know what, we're not paying you this anymore. I mean, and he signed that contract. We talk about continuations with Hunter. That one, if anything, is a reflection of a different time in this organization. I think I used the word anachronistic for that contract last week. And I shout out to the guy that emailed me and just the subject line was anachronistic. And he, that was and me. he said, uh, no, <laughs> it was, uh, I'm, I'm trying joking. to think who it was. Somebody, it was my, like my favorite email of the week. And he's just like, bro, nice. Or something like that. Um, so that was, uh, that was fun. I mean, it basically means of a different time. It, it's not, it doesn't fit with the current moments in our culture or whatever it happens to be when you, when you say that. So, that contract at the time even was like, well, okay, are we doing this with running backs? But when it was Mike Zimmer, when it was we want to run the ball, we want to make you the focal point of the offense, it made a little more sense when it's a different regime that wants to emphasize different things. I think that changed all of it, and uh, it, it just wasn't going to be something they were going to pay, both because they weren't going to run the ball as much, and I think just – in terms of looking at positional value and what you pay for, yeah. there is more of a the approach that you see a lot of teams use rather than, well, we know what other teams do, 
but we value these players for these reasons, and we're going to pay them even if the market wouldn't bear that in a lot of cases. I mean, I'm not talking about Dalvin Cook. I'm talking about Anthony Barr, Kyle Rudolph, Eric Kendricks. A lot of these deals that the Vikings signed in the old regime were, hey, we don't care that a lot of these players at these positions aren't getting this kind of money anymore. We like them. We think they're important to what we do, and we're going to pay them accordingly. Now, what then happens is you have a new regime come in and say, wait a minute, why are we doing this at this position? We need to reorient what we are paying for, and then you you can't do that without any cost, and that's where the dead money stuff comes in. So that's a lot of what we're seeing happen, and we've seen it all offseason. I think we're they're just about done with it in terms of a lot of these contracts being pushed out, but this, I think, was part of that wave too. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how the purge uh, is getting received nationally too. It's, I think a lot of people are kind of finally looking in. The Cook move triggered a lot of people nationally, at least what I saw on social media, of saying, well, boy, the Vikings are really rebuilding or selling out. And it's like, well, where you been? <laughs> like, yeah. You're not sell- selling out the wrong term, but I mean in terms of like really overturning this roster. Yep. And we've been writing about the Cook stuff for months same with Zedarius, um, but the the Kendricks, the Thielen stuff. I mean, this is a team that's not only trying to rebuild on the field, but redo books that were somewhat tarnished from a regime that was trying to save its job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a regime that was trying to do it with a lot of unconventional costs, like we're talking about. I mean, I think, I think the other piece of this, and I don't know this one hundred percent, but my hunch would be that if you're in an Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell's conversations, they're probably sitting there saying, okay, we're heading into year two. We won 13 games a year ago. But if we have another year where we try to just kind of kick the can down the road and we win nine games and maybe we get in, maybe we lose in the first round, now we're heading into year three and we have not reset the books such that we can make any kind of a big push in free agency to load the roster up with better talent when are we going to make the switch then? Are you going to start kind of putting the car in reverse and making the the backup to go a different direction in year three and hoping that hits when you don't know what your quarterback situation looks like beyond this year either? Or are you going to say, we're going to take on some of this stuff now and reset the roster earlier and not just count on goodwill from a 13-win season and try to, you know, milk that forever? Because, you know, the I... The Wilfs have been patient, but the Wilfs, I think, also want to see a winner, like a big winner. So I don't know that they are banking on 13 wins last year, giving them the goodwill to say, let's get another four or five years. I mean, like, let's the, run it back. Right. Let's, yeah. I mean, the previous regime, they go 13 and three in 2017. A lot of things go right. Yes, I know Sam Bradford got hurt. Yes, I know Dalvin Cook got hurt. They had a lot of things go right that year. If you want to go back and look at the the list, they had a lot of things go right. They went 13-3. and three. They could beat badly in the NFC Championship game. But that bought them a lot of goodwill to stay around and say, let's keep running it back. Let's keep trying to kind of keep things together with the group that we've had. And then that group gets older, and then eventually it, it fizzles. Mike I, Zimmer was so close to destroying that goodwill in 2019. Yeah. He was so close. Yes. And then they won in New Orleans. Yes. They, the two playoff <laughs> wins in dramatic fashion against the Saints bought them a lot of yeah. time. And, yeah. yes, had that not gone that way, it would have been very interesting to see if we are talking to a different Coach Kevin at this point than Kevin O'Connell. Jerry Jones was sniffing around yes. him apparently yes. at that time. Yeah, he was. Zimmer. And um, – Yes, that, that there's no doubt that was happening, and 
So would it would we be talking to Kevin Stefanski as the head coach at this point rather than Kevin O'Connell had it gone that way? My point in all this is I don't know that Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell are looking at it and saying, well, the last staff got this much out of a 13-win season that had some had some fortune attached to it. Oh, let's count on the same thing. We'll be fine. I, I don't think that's how they're looking at it. Yeah, credit the Vikings um, for realizing that whether it's the Wilfs, Quasi, Kevin, all three of them, that um, they realized that 13-win team was not a sustainably built or operated team that year. And duh, an NFL record one-score wins. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll tell you that. Um, all right, well, let's wrap it up here with some questions. We got a lot here uh, from Nick Miller. Wants to know if Brian Flores' defense is predicated on the heavy blitz, how important are pass rushers that need to create on their own? And it's interesting because we all know Ed Donatel to a fault, relied on the four-man rush, wouldn't blitz, uh, needed Zadarius and Daniil to do everything because they didn't purchase an interior pass rush. And so it just didn't work, obviously. Um, I talked to Jordan Hicks after practice today, and Jordan Hicks was talking about how, hey, offenses now need to worry about us sending five, six, or seven even at any point in time. And that is going to do so much for us on the back end and coverage. It is going to force the ball out. It's going to do all these things. So the players are anticipating a wave of blitzes that, as Hicks also said, it could even be simulated and have an, a good effect. Whereas, and these are my words, last year, you could fake a blitz and they didn't care because you guys don't send any. Like, what? we don't need to change anything or whatever. And in Hicks's words, he said, now they need to worry about their quarterback who's getting paid millions and millions of dollars getting getting hit. Um, so, yeah, Nick is on, on track here with this line of thinking. But at the same time, when you look at what happened in Miami, 2019 Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores first got there. They were very young and they were not very good. They also didn't have a lot of good pass rushers. And I believe shortly thereafter, they invested in guys like Jalen Phillips in the first round. There was somebody else they brought in and before the Chubb acquisition last year. But when Brian Flores was there, they did try to add premier pass rushers. It's not as if when he was head coach, they thought, we don't need that. We can manufacture it. No, I don't Um, think anybody is that naive. Right, and Mike Zimmer, too, was that way, too, where it was like, yeah, I can – blitz up and scheme stuff up with the best of them, but they were at their best when Daniil and Everson were humming. Like they were the two guys there in 2017, 18 and 19. Um, So I think it's maybe a little oversimplifying it to say, well, they could trade because I'm guessing the questions along the lines of Hunter that they could trade Daniil and maybe it wouldn't be that big of a loss. I think Hunter's a probably a better fit with a more creative coach. I have no idea how he fits this three, four, but I would just, guess that Flores is a better coach to put him in better positions Um, what did you think about that question yeah I I think I think you're right in the sense that Flores would I mean anytime you're trying to scheme things up it's better when you have pieces that are harder to account for and he is probably the best option they have there unless they're able to unlock something with DJ Wanham or Patrick Jones that we just haven't seen to this point or you know maybe there's some other level of creativity that you can get things out of but it it still is just it's good business to have somebody that can get to the quarterback even if he's being chipped or even if he is being double teamed and is is Daniil Hunter going to be that guy at this point I I think they there's somewhat of that question but in general it is helpful to have those guys so I wouldn't look at Brian Flores being here as a way of saying off 
it's not going to matter. They'll scheme their way into 50 sacks this year, and, and they'll be fine. Maybe they will. Uh, maybe we'll be surprised. Even the, I think the year that Daniel Hunter first got hurt, the Vikings were remarkably good given how little they had in terms of proven pass rush at finding their way to the quarterback. I think that was the year Fadio Denebo had seven or eight sacks. And, um, so it can happen. I just don't think anybody is. But they were a bad defense. They were. That they, was just a bad defense. It was. That was the one that Mike Zimmer <laughs> said it was the worst he'd ever had after Alvin Kamara on Christmas Day. But, yeah, I don't think anybody that has been around as long as Mike Zimmer has or Brian Flores has is looking at this and saying, yeah, I, I can spin straw into gold like that every time. It's like, no, you you know that you're better when you have elite players at important positions. And I would just venture to guess, I've never drawn up a blitz, but I'd venture to guess that it's easier to do so when you've got a guy that you know the other team has to assign two to. Yes. Or assign an extra yep. protection one mm-hmm. way to one guy, and then yep. you can play off that, et cetera. Um, and again, Marcus Davenport's the biggest what if to me with any kind of Daniel move because this is a guy that hasn't played, as we mentioned, more than 600 snaps in an NFL season. Um, he's he's not somebody that's been relied upon heavily by coaching staffs in New Orleans. So if this Viking staff thinks we're going to get be the first team to get a full year out of him, then you're going to rely on a jump from DJ Wanham. It's just, I think everybody who writes boy, that's quite a rebuilding team if they move Hunter is absolutely right because I just don't see it if he's gone. Yeah, and I, I think you know, they will certainly try as hard as they can to win as many games as they can. I don't think anybody is looking at this and saying, let's tank. But I think they're also realistic about we just couldn't wait anymore to try to reset the roster. So there's going to be some pain, I think, in the process of doing that. But I, I also, for the reasons we talked about, I don't think they were going to sit there and delay what they believed was inevitable because it was going to be uncomfortable. Uh, VG wants to know, Kwese and Kevin O'Connell seem to be building their own team to try to get their own second contracts. How likely is Kirk Cousins to be included in, quote, their team after this season? Um, Kirk Cousins, obviously entering the contract year, if you've listened to Access Vikings before or pay attention at all. (laughs) He's not been living under a rock. He's entering, entering the final year of his deal. We have detailed at length about how they would commit to him another year, but not necessarily a third year that he was seeking fully guaranteed or even partially guaranteed. Um, they weren't willing to get into that. So what do you think the chances are? And this is just us speculating completely um, that negotiations would kick back up again because Kwesi, the last time he spoke, did seem to leave that door open. Yeah, I think they have 100% been open to that. I, I think that's and we've talked about that before, that there is a window in which that happens. I think the way that happens, though, is Kirk Cousins has a good year. Um, Kirk Cousins also has a chance to sort of survey the landscape around the league and say, well, I don't know if I'm going to find another spot that is going to be as good of a fit for me as this or – is going to pay me as much as I would or at least guarantee the number of years that I would want. And the thing, too, is like by that point, he's a year older. I mean, he's he's heading into his age 36 season at that point, not his age 35. And and that's a little more of a roll of the dice. I, the, the question with him is always if the 49ers came calling and said, hey, we'd like to get the Kyle Shanahan, Kirk Cousins thing back together, would that be a landing spot? I, I think there'd certainly be interest in that from Cousins if that came about. 
um, you know, it's an obvious thing. It's it's an offense you know. It's a coach you know. It's a team with a lot of talent. It's a team that's set up to win. So, you know, I, I think he wants to end his career here. I think that's, that's legitimate. I think that's genuine. But if you're looking at places where he would go, it's not hard to, to look there and say, well, yeah, there'd probably be a fit. Are they going to do that? Is the money going to be there? I, I'm not sure if that's going to happen. As I think Joey Bosa, I believe, is a free agent after this year too. So there's a lot of things they have to consider. I mean, I think a lot of this in terms of Cousins being back here is if you get a chance to say, okay, here's realistically where my market would be, and I've put up another strong year in this offense with Justin Jefferson, with Kevin O'Connell, hey, it seems pretty good. I could see it at that point. Um the tricky part of it is that you don't know in March of next year, or February, whatever, if you're going to have a legitimate shot at Caleb Williams or Drake May, who are expected to be the number one and number two picks in the draft next year, are you going to be able to get up that high? If Kevin, if Kirk Cousins had a good year, you're not picking that high. You trade Daniel Hunter, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe you get a two for him, and you come up with something to package, and you throw a couple ones in there in the future. I mean, they might legitimately be a bad enough team without him um, to, oh, to, to be like a yeah, top five. I see what you're saying. I'm joking. Like, this offense, this is always going to be an offense or bust team in right. season, and they were last year yep. with Daniel. So how much worse can it get with the defense? I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's but. like if, if you're going to be 28th in the league with expensive players, you might as well be 28th in the league with not as expensive of players. Yeah. Um, you still won 13 games with be 28th in the league. I guess the last follow-up with that is just, do you think there'd be any reason for them to extend Kirk before this year even starts? Um, I don't know that I see that completely. Um, I, yeah, it's hard for me to, to – see that happening as of yet i know there's been some chatter about that on from, social media from what i'd heard back in march i just think he, what he was asking for would have to change yeah i think that's in right in terms of yep. the three i don't think they'd be it would take a vikings change to yes. accept a three-year deal yep i agree with that and it would take a kirk change to accept less than that so someone would have to budge this summer for whatever reason yeah and like what's going to have changed about the facts of the situation but between now and training camp, I think it's more likely that we get there in January or February or whatever. Yeah, if anything, all that's going to change is quarterbacks getting paid more. You know, Lamar Jackson yeah. getting paid. Yep. Yep. Um, Danny Jones getting paid back in March after their initial talks yeah, with the Vikings. Think that helped. No, so it's – anyway, yeah, it's it's a situation where he's going to enter this year, and if I had to bet, it was gonna, it'll be on that contract year. Yeah, I would bet that too. And plan that out. Um, all right. I think we got one more question that I wanted to get to here. Um, let's go with Kirk Cousins. Official burner wants to know, do we trade Daniel Hunter to Buffalo for Stefan Diggs? So no. give me a Justin Jefferson, <laughs> Stefan Diggs, Jordan Addison. KJ's the number four. Sorry, KJ. How are you paying for that? What do you think about that? Uh, no, <laughs> they can't afford it. Um, I don't think that. That would fit with the culture thing that they're trying to do here in terms of the relationship, perhaps, that would exist between a lot of the people that would have to be counted on to make that work. How about two 2,000-yard receivers? They a could, lot they of could talent. Do it. It'd be they fun. Do it, right? It'd be fun to watch. But no, I do not see that one happening. That is how you uh, – Nick wanted to know about the pass rush being made up for by the Blitz. That's how you make up for a lack of pass rush. You sign or you trade for Stephon Diggs to pair with Justin Jefferson, and you might score 60 points a game. You might, and you might win them 
a fair number of those games. Yeah, you, you might go twelve and five, and I have no idea if you'll win anything, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you're still going to run into Patrick Mahomes and a good defense. If, at some if point. you can make that work <laughs> in all of the ways that it would have to work, and you know what I mean, and it's not just the offense. Uh, I'm sure they would be happy to schedule a meeting with you and hear you out on that. There is truth to all rumors, as we've heard. 